Revelation 2, we have uh, been speaking on uh, you have ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says, instead of to the churches, but to the church meeting here in Staten Island. And we've been trying to find out, okay, how do we respond to what God says? How do we open our hearts to that, and what do we do? God left his word for us that we would. I have kind of like a Mount Sinai voice here. Is, it, is there a way that... You're on the Is it... Uh, is that... The echo? Hello, hello, hello. Ah, okay. Um, you know what? How about if I do this? Why don't I turn this off? Should I just keep talking? Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. The good news about an echo is you get to hear it twice. <laughs> so, you know, hopefully that'll help. Let's go to Revelation 2. If it gets too annoying, I'll turn it off here. Uh, verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has a, the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Barak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Amen. What do you guys think? You think it would be better if I just use the regular mic? That's right. All right. Okay. I'm going to unhook. And then I will take this. Now watch this one mess up on me. And if not, I'm just going to use what God gave me, which is a big mouth. All right. Okay. okay is, this, is this working? Can yes. you guys hear? Yeah. All right. Good. All right. Here we go. Pergamon. Pergamum, the letter to the church of Pergamum, Christ is walking among his church, and he always does. And he tells Pergamum this, he goes, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. I know that. Sometimes we go through tough times in our life, we think God doesn't know what's going on. He always knows what's going on. Now this is an unusual thing, where Satan lives, what are you talking about? You see, Pergamum was known as kind of a wonderland of paganism. Every different cult and worship was found there. Pergamum was the first city to build a temple to a living Roman emperor. In 29 BC, they asked permission to, for Caesar Augustus, let's build this, this worship, this temple to him. I mean, these people were, and they, you could find any type of religion you wanted. And so, in this city, Christianity is growing, but something happens. Persecution breaks out. 
John did a great job and Sarah last week. Uh, if you haven't heard that, go back. Amazing. All right? But he talked about persecution Smyrna was going through. Same thing here. And I want you to know, this is a great group of people here in Pergamum because he says, You didn't renounce me even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who what? Who died for the faith. Antipas was given a choice. You stand before the Roman authority and the statue to Caesar, take some incense, burn it, and say, Caesar's Lord. That's all you have to do. Then you can go on with your Christian life. Antipas said, no. There is one Lord, Jesus. And they killed him. And here's the commendation. Jesus said, Pergamum, you didn't renounce your faith even in those days. You know, it's one thing to be really brave. Yes, Jesus is Lord, that's great. Someone gets killed for that, and all of a sudden, hmm, this could be a lot more dangerous than I thought. And people start backpedaling and becoming cowards and that. These people didn't do it. Well, that's the way it's going to be. Here I am. Here I am. Because Jesus is Lord. So that's a commendation, and that's good. He says, but you know, there's one thing I have I hold against you. And notice what he says here. It's not everyone, but yet it's everyone's problem. He says in verse 14, You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. He's referring to Numbers 22 and 24. Balak gets Balaam, a prophet, and wants him to come, says, I will give you money if you will curse the Israelites, because the Israelites are coming into our land, and they're too big, so I want you to curse them. Balaam says, I can't do it, because every time I open my mouth, I end up blessing them. God made them bless them. <laughs> so he kept doing that, and finally Balak said, get out of here, go home. In Numbers 25, though, the Moabite women come in, they get the Israelite men to share in their feasts and to commit sexual immorality, and everything comes apart at the seams. And you think, how did that happen? You go to Numbers 31, verse 16, apparently what had happened is Balaam came back to Balak and said, okay, that way didn't work, why don't you do this? Send your women in there. Send them to do it, and that did work. And so that's the sin. There. That's the teaching. That somehow godliness can go with ungodliness. Now, that's not just an Old Testament thing here. Obviously, in the New Testament they were dealing with it. They're dealing with it here in Pergamum. How in the world do you claim to be a God-fearing person and yet believe things that are ungodly? Here in America, that's real easy, isn't it? Yeah. Because we have freedom of speech, and I appreciate that constitutional right, that we do have freedom of speech. But when it comes to things that we are to believe, it's a lot more narrow than just believe whatever you want to. Let me just read a couple of things. Here's where this same type of mindset came up uh, within the church. In Romans, the third chapter, and I'm just going to go through this quick. Romans 3. Uh, Paul is talking about, you know, God's faithfulness in saving us. And in verse 7, he says, Someone might argue, if my falsehood 
enhances God's truthfulness and so increases His glory, why am I condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is deserved. What were these people saying? You know, if I'm a sinner, if I keep lying, but that shows how great God is, then what's the problem? Right? I'll just keep doing anything I want to, and it just shows how wonderful God is. Paul says, unbelievable. Unbelievable. He goes on later in Romans, the sixth chapter, and says real quick in verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? That same mindset that somehow I'll just live any way I want and still follow Jesus. In Galatians 5, in verse 13, He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. And then finally, in Jude, and there's a lot more, but uh, finally in Jude and in verse 4, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of our Lord, of our God, into a license for immorality and denied Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So, this teaching of Balaam, which led the Israelites into idolatry and immorality, is a New Testament problem too. And in Romans, Paul is saying, how in the world? You know, you died to sin. Why would you pursue it any longer? In Galatians, he goes, how do you use your freedom in Christ to indulge the sinful nature? You're supposed to go the opposite way. In Jude 4, it says people, you know, sneak in and they, they trade the, the grace of God as a license. They look at it as a license to do whatever they want to. In this specific case, it's immorality. Over and over again, this teaching is here in Pergamum, and Jesus is saying, you can't have that. You can't have that. Now, here's the challenge. It's even more of a challenge for us here in Staten Island. You know why? Because we are part of Western civilization. And in Western civilization, we vote on what we're going to believe. In Western civilization, we say, well, I'll believe what I want to. And I'll teach what I want to. And the church is here just to be a place where I can do what I want, believe what I want, and everything's okay. And that's what, that is the common experience throughout Western civilization. So Balaam is not just an ancient character. He's very much alive today. Sometimes we can be the victims of believing the wrong thing. Now... There's also the problem when people start living the wrong way within the fellowship. That's actually church and Thyatira. And we'll, you know, we'll talk about that uh, coming up. But today, I want to just talk about what we believe. Because belief always leads to behavior. Always. I'm living my life today, for good or for ill, whatever, based on what I believe. That's it. 
I mean, you cannot escape that. No one can say, well, but in my heart, I want to do this. No, if your heart was real answered, you would have been open. Well, yeah, we all have desires. We all have things that can lead us off. But even that, if we believe, hey, I don't want to do this, we can help. We say, I don't want to do it because I believe it's wrong. But if we don't really believe it's wrong, we'll just go right ahead and do it. Our lives always reflect that. And then we have something else that's a challenge to us. And that is, we don't want to be judgmental. You know? I don't want to sound judgmental. Because Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 1, Do not judge, or else you will be what? Judged. Why do they ever stop there? Have you ever noticed that? People will quote that verse. They don't quote the second part that comes with it. There's a reason they don't quote the second part that comes with it. It totally destroys the whole reason they quoted the first part. Because what he says, he says, For, for, by the same measure you judge others, you also will be judged. So guess what happens? If you say the Bible says this, to someone, John, the Bible says this. I, I can say that to John. And you know what God's saying? Sheridan, good job. But Sheridan, the Bible says that about you too. All right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me show you something else. First Corinthians chapter 5. And this is, this is important, guys, because we are, I'm this way. I'm part of Western culture and civilization. Some of you moved here from another country. And things used to be a lot more clear. And you come into this thing, and it's like kind of everything's a little free-flowing. What's right? What's wrong? And you don't want to say, hey, I shouldn't believe that way. Or you shouldn't believe that, because that's judgmental. And you know what? For people that are not Christians, you're right. I have no say. You know, someone who's not a Christian, they want to live their life the way they want to. I respect that. If they want to know my opinion, I can give them my opinion. I think that's wrong. I think God's displeased with that. But that's just my opinion. You're not, you know, a Christian. You want to live the way you want to. So that's your choice. But what happens if they become a Christian? Now it's different. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And he said, uh, okay, I'm in 2 Corinthians. Which is a wonderful letter, too. I mean, I highly recommend it. But at the end of chapter 5, and I don't have time, I'm going to read several scriptures, but uh, just verse 12, Paul is dealing with a situation. There's somebody that's been in immorality, and he says, you guys are proud of it. Notice what he says here in verse 12. What business is it of, of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge where? Those inside. God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. You are to make a judgment. Is this a right thing to believe? Is this a wrong thing to believe? Now the sinful part is if that judgment is based on your authority. If I'm to tell you that's wrong based on because Sheridan says so, that's sinful. That's wrong. But if I say that's wrong because here's what scriptures say, Problem's not with me. If you say that to one another, that's wrong because of what scriptures say. You're not calling on your authority. I don't have authority. You don't have authority. God has all authority. 
It's interesting when Jesus appears to the, the church in Pergamum, what does he say? He comes with what? Double-edged sword, right? Kind of reminds you of Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces, dividing joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It judges. If I was a racist, and I'm here and someone caught me in a conversation saying something, what do you think they should do? Well, don't say anything. Don't be judgmental. No, they better start doing a little judging right now. And they don't do it because I'm personally offended, you know, they're person. They do it because of God. Says that sinful. I know we're real quiet. And is everyone with me on this so far? Jesus, Jesus would even say when the religious uh, teachers were on him and, 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 you know, he was debating with them. He would say in the Gospel of John, you know what? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Here's the thing, guys. We don't judge from authority of ourselves. We judge from authority of God within the church. Now, outside the church, people do whatever. Within the church, if you're a Christian, I'm accountable to you. You're accountable to each other. But what makes us accountable is what the Word of God says, not personal opinion. Why some of you guys, you know... Rooted for the Carolina Panthers? I have no idea. Personally, I think that was wrong. And I'm saying a judgment against you, alright? That type of stuff doesn't matter. Why all of you guys aren't Florida Gators is beyond me. I don't have, I don't understand. We got some people that root for Alabama Crimson Tide here, and I just can't, like them, you know? I mean, I'm going to start, let's see if we can't redo the membership role here, alright? You know, we'll come up with that. All of that stuff doesn't matter. But there are things that do matter. So I want to ask you a question. Does it matter what you believe? Now guys, normally when I, I do a sermon, I like to keep it with a few scriptures just to kind of leave you with a point and something that the Holy Spirit can use to guide you and to work all of us build together. Today, though, I'm going to read several things back to back, because what I want us to understand is it does matter what we believe. And you agree with that, but you know what? Everything in our culture is going against your heart. Right. right. Every, uh, your experience, your culture, it doesn't matter. I can believe this, I can believe that, I can believe... Let's just see. Does it matter what I believe? And I'm going to take three guys. Paul... Peter and John. And let's see. And let's just go through and read some things. And these were what I did without going and looking up in uh, um, a concordance or, you know, some of the Bible software. I just, from my mind, this is what I, I did. So, there's a lot more than this. Romans 16. And we'll just go right through this. Does it matter what I believe? Romans 16. Verse 17. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. 
By smooth uh, talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Alright, Paul is saying, watch out for people to obstacles contrary to the teaching you have received. In 2 Corinthians, chapter 11. He says, verse 4, If someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you receive, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. And he goes on to talk about calling them, look, you guys need to come back to what you've been taught. Galatians 1, and I'm just going to keep going through these. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, and now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Okay, then Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 14. Notice what he says. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm 3. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Colossians 2, 6-8. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, Strengthened in the faith, and the faith, the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. First Timothy, chapter four, verse one. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Later on in that same chapter, verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up the sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. And then, um, let's go to 2 John. 2 John. Well, I think also in Peter. Let me, uh, yeah, Second Peter. I'm sorry, Second Peter before Second John. They got the same first name. 
Second Peter, chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. <clears throat> and he'll go on and talk about what will happen there. But then lastly, Second John, <clears throat> verse 9. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares his wicked work. I don't know what to say when I read scriptures like that, except it does matter what I believe. It does matter. The church has always struggled with this. If you read any cursory introduction to church history, you will see a lot of doctrinal struggles here. I mean, it's always struggle with living the life, too, but, you know, it starts with what you believe. And here in America, that goes against the grain because I want to believe what I want to believe. Again, in matters of opinion, knock yourself out. But if when it comes to what God wants us to believe, it's not every person for themselves. They have got to figure out what is it that I need to do. And they've got to be able to help one another. So does it matter what I believe? Yes. So the other question is, what do we do with this? Number one, let's love the Word. Let's just love the Word of God. I mean, that's something, I, you know, if every one of us loved the Word of God, I want you to go back and read Psalm, 1, Psalm 119 and Psalm 19. <clears throat> read what the psalmist felt about the Word of God. Read every description and accuracy. And sometimes we don't have time. Where's that love for the Word? How in the world are we going to be able to believe the things God wants us to believe if we don't love the source from which it comes? Some of us, I know, may have reading challenges. Don't worry. Take one verse, one thought. Listen to one thing on a, on a tape, on a DVD or something. But think about it. Meditate it. Love it. Because the more you love the Word, the more you're going to understand what is right and what is not right. You'll understand what is opinion and what is not opinion. And you won't end up like Pergamum. Where all of a sudden, you're, you're just accepting, oh, well, that, that, you know, that brother believes this, that sister believes this, and you're thinking the Bible, no, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. So love the Word. Secondly, seek the will of God. Now, I'm not talking about acquiescing to the will of God. I'm talking about taking initiative, seeking the will of God. I'm talking about when you consider how you're going to live your life, what is the will of God? Not what is my will, what is the will of God? Jesus would say in Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, 
verses 31 through 35. His mothers and brothers and sisters come to see him, and it's so crowded. Someone goes, your mothers and brothers and sisters are here. And he says in verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers? And he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. If I seek anything else but doing the will of God, that's not the bottom line. Something's going to go wrong. I'm going to be believing things wrong. We don't have time, but read John 6. After Jesus fed the 5,000, they come looking for him. And he goes, the reason you come looking for me is because I fed you. You need to seek the food that lasts forever, spiritually. They got a free meal. Now, you know what? I came to the church because I was a mess. I was messed up and I needed help in my life. And that's okay. You come to the church for that reason. I don't stay in the church for doing that. Now, everyone's got to help me, help me, help me, help me. God empowered me. Now I contribute to the well-being of others. In John 6, they thought that, that Jesus was there just to meet every need they thought they had. There's one need. Every man and woman has, they start with. That need is to come home to God. Everything else is dessert. Everything else is dessert. That's our need. Well, I need a family. No, you don't. A family is a gift. You need relationships. Oh, but a family is a gift. A gift that came from God. Jesus' family were those who did the will of the Father in heaven. There was another close family back in those days. It was a family of the high priest. They crucified the Christ. Jesus cost them money. When he kicked over the tables in the temple, he offended the family because that was where they got their money. That was one of the things that went into it. They were religious people. They weren't seeking the will of God. So guys, you know what? We can be influenced by America. We'll turn on our TV and all of these things and we can start believing things. It's just not what God wants. But if you're the type of person you say, you know what, Father, phew, I've got a lot of selfish desires. I'm kind of a mess. I don't, what is your will? What is it? And don't balk when, oh no, I don't think I can. What is your will? What is your will? Jesus said, not my will, your will be done, Father. And you know what he said to Sheridan because of that? Follow me. I'll guarantee you, there's several things I have not been excited about and did not want to do that were his will. I wanted to be left alone. I wanted to just go be on a mountaintop somewhere and not be bothered. That's what I want to do. What's your will, Father? No. I don't want to have certain conversations. What's your will, Father? I don't want, I just don't want to bring up issues. What's your will, Father? What is your will? What is your will? It will get you in more trouble than you've ever bargained for. But it will help more people than you ever imagined. And it'll help you. What is your will? That's how we keep from falling into the Pergamum thing. You show me someone that loves the Word and seeking the will of God, 
And I'm going to show you somebody that will start believing the right things that God wants them to believe. Now, the last part of this, though, is what do we do? we got to help each other. When Jesus addresses the church of Pergamum, there were only some that held to the teaching of Baal. It seemed like everyone else didn't. But he appealed to everyone, God's. Let's address this. Let's work on this. Let's get this. Help these people. It isn't like, well, I'm sorry, you know, Hassan's kind of off the rails doctrinally, and, you know, so, but, but I'm not. I know what I believe. No, Sheridan, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? Do you come out there and say, I'm going to clean this guy? No, you're going to say, brother, can we talk? Can we study? Can we, what are you going to do? Because you're part of this body. You're part. So, what do we focus on? How do we keep from getting off into all sorts of, of incidentals and, and opinions? Let's see what Paul thought was important. And let's focus on that. Ephesians 4. Not sure. Ephesians 4. He says in verse 1, and the point I'll get to will be uh, verse 4 and following. But he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now listen to what he says. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Some people, scholars have referred to that as kind of the unity plan. What is something that people do need to agree on? This oneness here. And it's funny, we all agree on there's one God and Father. Well, that one's pretty easy. One Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit. That one, yeah, we get that. It starts getting murky with the one body and the one faith and the one baptism. All of a sudden, it becomes, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe. I don't want to come across judgmental. Don't be judgmental, but ask what is true. Ask what is right. It's what the Scriptures say. There is one body. That is the church. So are you saying you're the only one? I'm saying that any group of people that does what this says is it. But none of this idea that, you know, kind of go to the church of your choice. Really, what about God's choice? Is it God's church? There are, are people that gather together that will talk about Jesus that don't believe he's the son of God. Now, you know what? I respect their opinion, and, you know, they're entitled to do that. This fellowship, he is the Son of God. There, there's no negotiation on that. He's not just a, a, a human rabbi. That, oh, even more an enlightened rabbi. The best rabbi. Any of that. He is God. That is a foundational thing that we believe in the body here. And that's part of it. We believe the church is the body of Christ. It's not an organization. 
It's not where I come just so I can feel good. It's where I come and am a part of things, and hopefully you feel good because of that. We don't go after all of the fruits. We're here about the root. Jesus the Christ, he said we are the body of Christ. First Corinthians 12, Paul says, the hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. But in America, we've been taught to say that. We've been taught that you go to church. We've not been taught that you are the church. You have responsibility. You are a part. And you influence it. You know what? We are either somebody's excuse or somebody's open call. And I want to challenge all of the older Christians here. We've got young people in the faith. When they look at you, what do they see? What do they see? What are we telling them? This is what the body is. Yes, we're imperfect. Yes, we got things to do. We always will. But they ought to see a determination, a fire to address things. They ought to hear a group of people that are confessing their sins to one another. Why? Because they want help. Because they are more about being like Jesus than they are about appearing some certain way. They ought to see that and realize that's normal Christian life. Are we an upward call? One body. It is the body of Christ. One faith. We already talked about that. It does matter what you believe. One baptism. You know, someone comes to me and says, Sheridan, they're a Christian, but they haven't been baptized yet. I say, I don't believe that. Now, I'd like to believe all that. You know what I'd like to believe? I'd like to believe that eating pizza gets you close to God. That's what if you were up to me. Pizza, I'd like to believe that, you know, athletics, that, you know, going to movies... I'd like to believe if I did that, I could go to heaven and, you know, be with God forever. You know that? I would, there are a lot of things I'd like to believe. The only hiccup. A slight little hiccup. In my case, a leather-bound hiccup. In your case, an electric hiccup. What did God say? What did he say? One baptism. What did he say? Well, sure. What about this person? The best person I've known. Salvation based on Christ, not on the goodness of somebody else. What about my grandmother? I'm sure she was awesome. I'm sure she was amazing. I'm sure. And let God deal. But I don't have the authority to say something different about baptism than what it says. I don't have that authority. So I've got to hold to it. I can't figure out all the, what about this? What about, don't know. But I do know this. One baptism. One baptism. One Lord. Sometimes we say, that's the easy one. No, that's, that's probably the most difficult of anything I've ever talked yeah, about. Yeah. Of all these ones. Jesus is Lord. I've tried to think of something when we baptize someone. How can we make that more prominent? And I don't know why, because I'm sitting there thinking, you know, here in Western civilization, people are always looking, well, what do I need to say? I'll say it. You know, what do I need to do? I'll do it. But the heart's not there. One thing about Antipas, there was one Lord in his life. 
And one thing about Pergamum, there was one Lord. Doesn't matter what the cost is. My life is Christ's life. That's what it means. Jesus is Lord. When someone's going to get baptized, they hold anything back. Hey, I don't want to be a part of that. I love you. I'll do whatever I can. But if you hold anything back in good conscience, I can't say that's okay. Now, you know what? No one's perfect. I've seen some people sometimes they get baptized and they come back later. Oh, I forgot to talk about that. Ah, don't worry about it. You know, it's what you were there. You came surrendering. And the fact you're talking about and wanting to deal with it now shows that He is Lord. But He is Lord. There is one Lord. And if someone doesn't believe that, you know what? That is not right in the church. I'll make a judgment. It is wrong. It is wrong. And so, let's not be like, you know... Uh, uh, the church of Pergamum, some of us believe Jesus is Lord and live that way, some of us don't. That's not an option. We're always going to have times of weakness. We're always going to have times where we struggle. We're always going to have times when, quote unquote, I'm not doing as good as I should. That's a gimme. But the thing is, we're growing. When we mess up and come back, hey, I need help. You know, we've had people, all of us have sinned in a lot of different ways here. And you know what happened? They come out, they confess immediately, boom. You know why? Jesus is Lord. We've had people try and get away with stuff. Jesus is not Lord. And again, if someone wants to live a certain way, that's their choice. They can't do it here. You can't do it here. Because there's one Lord. And it is. It does make a difference what we believe. That's right. I kind of threw a lot at you today, didn't I? It's all right, bro. You got some quiet time material, though, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> all I'm going to ask is, is it true? That's all. Just want to ask. Because if it's true, we're all on board, right? Because Jesus is our Lord. And there's one faith, one Lord, one spirit, one body, one baptism. One God and Father who is over all and in all and through all. To Him be all of the glory and the praise. We are His people. Let's help each other. If you feel like one another not believing well, don't come in charging, but let's have conversations with each other with the Bible open. And let's all do this together, believing the way God wants us to believe. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The Spirit says to Staten Island Church.